Advent reminds us of the longing for restoration, that God will make all things new. When darkness feels overwhelming to us, we have the light of the world. And so in John chapter 1, we have the arrival of our Savior. If you have a Bible, I want you to keep this passage open. If, if you don't, pull it up on your phone or, or it's, the text is printed for you in your order of worship this morning. Let's listen to the word of God, John 1, 12 through 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Let's come to God in prayer. Lord, I ask that you would let us see the truth of your word, that we would feel and understand the glory of the message that is announced to us today. Lord, for those of us who come as believers in Jesus Christ, strengthen us by the power of your word. Give us hope and a trust in you. Lord, for those that that listen trying to, to sort out the truth of who you are, I pray that your word read and preached by the power of your spirit would, would bring new life, that you would give faith to those who listen. Help us to turn from sin and turn and trust in you. Father in heaven, we come praying in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity... Find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. Those are the words of theologian J.I. Packer in his classic book, Knowing God. If you want to figure out how much somebody understands of the Christian faith, then ask him, ask her, how much he or she understands and, and thinks of himself as a child of God. How much the believer comes to God as father. But Packer continues describing the Christian life. He says, if this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and his prayers and his whole outlook on life, then it means he does not understand Christianity very well at all. For us as Christians, John 1 in the verses that we've read, 12 and 13, highlights for us the central truth of the Bible. We have become children of God. And yet the challenge that Packer lays out before us is is if you don't think of yourself in those terms, if you don't live according to that truth, then you really haven't understood Christianity at all. Which means for those of you listening today who don't know Jesus as Savior, who maybe maybe are investigating this, trying to uncover what is true, then here you have a clear picture of what our relationship with God is meant to be like. You have a a clear understanding, an explanation of what is central to us as Christians. Look back with me at the the very first word that I read this morning in verse 12. But that that conjunction means we, the the contrast is being set. So so that, that means we actually, to get started, we need to rewind a little bit to last week's sermon. We need to look at verse 11 to see the contrast. Because verse 12 is telling us the good news that that there is the right to become a child of God. So we need to see the contrast. Let's look back at verse 11 in John 1. The, The word, Jesus came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, 
who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. John is setting for us right here at the beginning of this gospel a clear contrast between those who reject Jesus, who do not receive him, and those that receive him, that that see the gift that is being given and take the gift as their own, who who put their trust in Jesus. It's a contrast between those who know God as Father, those who believe in him, and and those who have rejected God, and so, so come only under the judgment of God without the loving relationship of God as Father. John wants, wants us to, to see the, it, it, it means that this will demand for us a res, from us a response. Yes, when Jesus arrived, many people rejected him. They would not receive him. But, but John is saying, you must receive him. Because to all who receive Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. The gift at Christmas is the gift of eternal life through Jesus, our Savior. It's offered to you. Will you receive it? And just so that we'll, we understand what it, what it means, okay, so how do I do that? How do I receive Jesus? Well, John makes it clear. Look again at verse 12. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name. What does it mean to receive the gift of, that God gives? It means to believe in the name of Jesus. Now, it, it, that doesn't mean to just use the name of, of Jesus as some sort of, of magic word. It, it doesn't mean to, to simply be a, a, a shortcut for how you can end your prayers in, in the name of Jesus. It, when we speak of Jesus' name, we're speaking of his identity, his, his purpose. So, so to believe in the name of Jesus is to say that your only hope, your only trust is in Jesus the one who's already been revealed to us in, in, just these, in just these 12 or 13 verses that we've read so far. As the eternal word of God, God himself who created all things. He is the light of the world who has come. He gives us life, life everlasting. He is the one in whom you must believe. Now the rest of John's gospel, remember this is merely the introduction. This is just to, to get you started in reading all of John's gospel. It, it, it will tell us what Jesus came and what he has done. He came to, yes, born here in Bethlehem, but he came to give his life in Jerusalem, to die in the place of sinners. And so you must believe in his name. It demands a response from us. And yet we live in a in a culture that says, well, I mean, come on, preacher. I mean, don't, I mean, let's let's not like shove this down people's throats. Because culturally we think, I mean, isn't the most open-minded position to sort of let everyone believe what he or she wants to believe. I mean, if Jesus works for you, that's fine, but, but maybe something else will work better for me. But, but that's, not the, that's not the decision that, that John is offering. Either you be, believe in Jesus, you receive him, or you deserve the, the judgment and punishment that comes from God because of your sins. But if you receive him, then you are welcomed as a child of God. See, we wrongly assume that, that waiting to make a decision is the better option. Now, sometimes, if you're, if you're still sort of weighing out something, you know, insignificant in your life, then, then well, who, who cares? Just wait. But, but we think, when it comes to the biggest questions in life, you know, wouldn't it be better if I, if I wait until I have a little more information? The problem is, for some of us, or maybe some of you, you have been putting off a decision about what it means to believe in Jesus. And so to put off the decision means you are, verse 11, you did not receive him. 
when what is demanded of you is you must receive Jesus. Now, now imagine, imagine taking the, the strategy that, that our culture wants us to take on life's biggest questions. Imagine trying to take that strategy of, let's, you know, let's not, let's not be harsh and make any, any strong decisions. Let's just kind of keep going where we're at and I'll figure it out later. Imagine using that philosophy on the highway as you approach a, a, a fork in the road. You have to make a decision. To keep going in the direction you're going will, will run you off the road, will lead you into to an accident. And of, of course, it's obvious in that instance, you've you, you got to take one of the forks in the road. Well, why in the practical everyday decisions do we think, do, do, we, do we intuitively and obviously understand that? But when it comes to the life's biggest decisions, we think that we would have absolute control over where the road goes. That, that well, I want the road to keep going straight, so I'm just going to keep going straight. You are not the road builder. You're not the architect. You're not the, the city planner. You have to drive on the road as it actually is. And when it comes to the question of, am I going to heaven or hell? Am I a child of God or am I condemned by God? Then you actually have to make a choice to keep putting off the choice. It, it initially, intellectually, it sounds open-minded. But it's a foolish decision unless you are the king of the universe who can do whatever you want. Well, then make whatever decision you want. But if you are a creature who lives in God's universe, then you actually have to listen to his word. John is forcing us to make a choice. That's why the gospel is here before us. Will you receive the gift as it's given? The gift of God's own son. Now, what is, what is the, the gift? What, what do we receive? Look at, look at how verse 12 continues. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. God, by his power and authority, that, that language there of right, I mean, it's, it's describing this, this, yes, in legal terms, the authority and power of God that you are made a child of God. Everyone who believes becomes a child of God. By the, the power of God, it's a right given to you. To you who are, we'll see in verse 13, who are born of God's power. Now, it's, it's legal language that, that elsewhere in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul will describe using language that, that ancient peoples understood of adoption. That you could take a, a child who was not born of your flesh and make that child legally and, and in all ways your heir. That's something that the, the Jews like John would have understood or, or ancient Greeks and Romans would have understood as well. Now, John doesn't use the language of adoption here. He uses the language of, of being a child of God. But it's, it's, this, it's this legal understanding that by God's authority, we are welcomed as his children. Because God says it, it is true. Now, back in the spring of 1902, a woman who called herself Cassie Chadwick took a train from Cleveland to New York City. She enlists the help of a, a lawyer, and then she presents herself at 2 East 91st Street, right there on 5th Avenue. It's the four-story mansion of the steel magnate Andrew Carnegie. They end up leaving the mansion without actually getting to talk to Carnegie himself. The staff won't, won't let this woman intrude. But as she's leaving, she pulls out from her coat this large envelope 
very conspicuously so that the, the lawyer with her will, will be forced to ask the follow-up question. Although, as any good lawyer will tell you, you should never ask a question for which you don't already know the answer. Right? But I guess maybe that's only in, in court. But, and so he, what do you have there? Oh, it, it's just some paperwork. It's just some legal documents. And so he's, he's curious now. Well, what does it say? Well, what these documents are are promissory notes signed by Carnegie himself to give this woman $250,000 and another $500,000. And, and the man asks, well, why? Why do you hold such notes given to you by, by Mr. Carnegie? She said, well, I am his daughter. Now, he hasn't publicly acknowledged me as his daughter, and, but, but he's given me these promissory notes, and at his death, I will, I will inherit much of his vast fortune. Now, this woman now bounces extravagantly from city to city. She had sworn the lawyer to secrecy, knowing that that would only make the, the, the story all the more enticing to share. And so the story begins to be spread that there is an heir of Carnegie, one who has not yet been, been acknowledged, an illegitimate heir, but one who has promissory notes signed by Carnegie himself. And so, so Cassie begins to bounce from city to city. She goes to, to banks, in, in those places, and, and she shows them the notes. And at the signature of Carnegie, they give her cash. And she, she'll sign whatever they put in front of her. She, it doesn't matter how high the rate of interest is, because, well, daddy will be good for it, right? I mean, he's, he's worth more than, than they, they could even imagine. And so, so after a couple of years, though, it all begins to catch up with her because she's sued by one of the banks for her failure to repay the loan? Because of course she couldn't. She didn't actually have any money. She wasn't really an heir. She had no relationship with Carnegie. It's estimated that, that in her, her several years of, of playing this scam from city to city, that she, she was given $600,000. Okay, that's in 1902 to 1905. So that's like $16 million of money was given to her because she walked into banks with a note that looked like it had been signed by Carnegie. She was found guilty and sentenced to a decade in federal prison. Now, Carnegie himself attended the trial. He was now interested in, in the outcome of this. And when asked by reporters what he thought of it all, he said the whole scandal could have been avoided if anyone had ever bothered to ask me. Many of the men who owned the banks that gave her the money had dined with Carnegie himself. Some of them were close friends, and yet, yet because they, well, they didn't want to put him in an awkward spot of having to publicly acknowledge an illegitimate heir. But she was able, on this legal fiction, to gain the confidence of people because here's a signature that says, Whatever you give me, I can repay you at whatever interest rates. Because a, a legal relationship, it, it, it wouldn't be enough. Not, now, you and I have, have a, a document signed by God himself. We, we have a true document. We are here, verse 12, told that we've been given by God the right to become his children. But it's, it's not merely a legal relationship that we have. It, it, yes, it, it is that, but it's, it's more than that. Because it's a personal relationship. 
It doesn't say in verse 12 that, that God gave us or that Jesus gave us the right to become business partners with God. Now, yes, of course, in some sense, we are on mission with God. We are partnering with him in the things that he is doing, but, but not merely as some distant, unknown, unknown face in a corporate suite. No, what is the, the language of verse 12? That, that he gave us the right to become children of God. I mean, that means we can come to God at, at any point. We, we need not fear that, that he will be too busy for us, that he will be distracted by other concerns. We can come to God and call him Father because we are children of God. It's, it's the language of, of, of a loving and intimate relationship that we are welcomed as sons and daughters because of the Son of God. Now, we actually haven't heard that title given to Jesus yet, that he is the Son of God. He's been called in the verses we've read, the, the Word of God. He is the, the light that shines. He is the life that is given to us. But, but look, look ahead with me at verse 14. So we've already rewound to last week, so we'll just we'll kind of get a sneak peek of what's coming next week. That the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Because of Jesus the Son, you can be called a child of God. Jesus, who occupies this, this unique position as the eternal Son of God, because God declares that you can now be made a child of God. We have not merely a, a, a legal document to confirm this. We have the confidence that comes because we can come to God at any time, with any need. We have a God who loves us and cares for us, the one who sent his Son on our behalf. And so what does it mean then to become a child of God? Verse 13 will we'll switch the image. You've been welcomed as a child, and that means you are born again. Born again by the power of God. Look at, look at verse 13. These children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Do you, do you hear what John is saying? All credit for this new relationship, for this miraculous work, is given to God. It's not of blood. It's not a physical birth that we're talking about. It's not of the, the will of the flesh. We're not, we're not talking about a, 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 mere, a mere human relationship, a mere physical relationship. It's, it's not even the will of, of a man or a, or a husband. It's, it's not through, through that kind of, of, of relationship that we become children of God. It is entirely of the power of God. He's the one who gave us the right in verse 12 to become children of God, and it is by his power that we have been born. Now, this is language that will become clear in just a couple of chapters. When Jesus speaks about being born again, born not of the flesh, but born of the spirit. Not talking about a physical birth, but a spiritual new birth. Because Jesus came not to make bad people good, Jesus came to make dead people alive. Just turn in your Bible with me, just a page or two to John chapter 3. A, a man comes, a, a religious scholar, a leader among God's people. A man named Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. And, and in John chapter 3 verse 2, he, he says to Jesus, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So despite the fact that he comes at night, he has seen the, the miracles, which in, in, so far in this gospel, are, they're actually not even huge miracles yet by chapter 3. 
But this religious leader, Nicodemus, sees that Jesus has come from God with God's authority and he's doing miracles in the power of God. But, but then Jesus, it's almost as if Jesus comes out of left field with an answer that feels, feels disconnected from this, this introductory statement. Look at John 3, verse 3. Now, you've actually already heard this this morning. We read it as our call to worship. John 3, 3. Jesus answered Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless one is born again, born a second time, he cannot see the kingdom of God. It's that same language that we've already heard in our chapter, chapter 1, that we are born of the power of God. Now, in our day and age, we, we, might, we might hear that phrase, born again, and because of the way it's been used politically in recent decades, we might think, oh, this is some sort of designation of how people are going to vote. It's, it's a designation that they're, they're born again Christians. Well, I think it's right in, in the, the words of John 3 to call ourselves born again Christians, but only if we really understand what it means. It's, it's not to be part of a, a political block, but to, to be one who was dead in sin, but made alive by the power of Jesus. To be born again. To be made alive. Or as theologians would say, that you have been regenerated. You were dead and you are now alive. It's a radical new life given to us by God. Now, Nicodemus himself is, is confused by the image. Not because of its, its use in the politics of his day, but because, wait, he says, how can an old man enter a second time into his mother's womb? Like, none of this image makes any sense to me, Jesus. But Jesus, in verse 5, says, Truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. See, Jesus speaks of a new birth, being born again, as an image for us to understand that this is something we get no credit for. You, you didn't choose the day of your birth. And you don't choose the, the day of new birth. It's God who works in you. But what is your response? It's to respond in faith, to trust in Jesus. And so John chapter 3 will then reach that, that pinnacle, that high point, that, that familiar verse as John explains to us, what is Jesus talking about? What does it mean to be born again? It means to believe in Jesus. Look at John 3.16. Again, we heard this already in our call to worship. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The gift is given to us. By the power of God, he is the one who raises the dead. He is the one who gives new life to us. It's in Jesus that you are born again. But, but remember what, what, the, what the gospel will take us to. It will take us to the cross. Because for you to be born again, for me to be born again, Jesus himself will die. The Son of God, the eternal Son of God, the creator of the universe, nailed to a cross to, to pay the penalty for your sins and mine. This is how great God's love is. It's through the death of Jesus, through his resurrection then from the dead, that you and I are given the right to become children of God. That you and I can come to God and call him Father. That you and I are born anew, born again by God's power. Now remember Dr. Packer's statement that if you, if you want to help somebody figure out if they really understand Christianity... Do they think of themselves as a child of God? Do you view God as your father? Because some of us, we, we can come to God as, as if he is a, a, a judge. And that's true. That's an image used in scripture. And so, so we, will, we will come and we will confess our sins, but, but in fear. 
in sort of trembling of, of God, I've done this wrong, and hope that we don't, we don't get punished too hard for what we've done wrong. That's, that's not how a child confesses sin to a loving father. We come with joy. Not joy in the sins we had committed, but joy in the relationship we have and the promise that God will forgive us. And so when, you, when you're confronted with your sin, do you try and hide it or do you confess it? Do you understand that God is the God who forgives because you can call him Father? And the Spirit of God cries out with you to call him Abba, Father. Uh, the, the language of, of intimacy. See, see, some of us, we, we view God as a, a business partner. And maybe this is a bigger problem for me than it is for you. Because I, you know, I'm kind of, you know, like he's my boss. Right? Like he's the big guy upstairs. But see, sometimes we, 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 think, of, we think of God in those terms as a, as a distant, a, a, as someone who, who is far from us, who's not in relationship. Yeah, I mean, I owe some, some obligations to him. I've got to get stuff done for him. But, but that's not how you would would work alongside your father, the one who loves you and cares for you. You're, you're in the family business. So yes, we, we can say that we're on mission with God, but, but with God as our father. Or maybe some of us, we're, we're tempted to, to view God as a vending machine. Like we have a, a list of stuff and, and, and we want him to respond to us. And, 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 and we don't think of it in, in a sort of a meaningful relationship, but we, we bring him a, a prayer list. Of like, God, could you take care of some of this stuff? And some of those prayers are big prayers. I mean, God, can you, can you, can you heal a, a nation? God, can you, can you bring, uh, bring physical healing to, to a world? God, can, can the vaccine come and can it come quickly? And, and, and Lord, we pray that it will work effectively. Lord, put me in, in line to receive that so that I can show love and care to my neighbors. And, and so sometimes our, our prayers are huge, but, but we come to God as, as if, you know, like, hey, on your way home from work, could you pick up a few things for me? As if he's a, a genie to just sort of respond when we call on him. But that's not the relationship we're meant to have. We've been given the right to become children of God because of the Son of God who gave his life for us. See, the gift that is given here is one that must be received, but it's a, a gift that is entirely by the work of God, a display of God's grace on our behalf. We have the right to be called the children of God. Mom Heather describes her, her boys coming home from school excited with their new school pictures. They'd gotten their, their portraits taken, and now they had the actual prints. But but, but to her surprise, the, the boys didn't actually give her the, the envelope. Uh, her, her younger sons, they, 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 they hid the pictures until they could go rummage around in the basement and find frames. Because they wanted mom to, to, you know, to see the pictures and be surprised by them. And so the, so the boys, you know, right home from school, they, they, they get the pictures and they, they get them displayed in mom's home office. And, and, and when she, she says, when Heather says, when she saw the pictures, she bursts into tears. Tears of joy and of gratitude. Because her son Eli, who had framed his picture for her, when he first entered her home as a child in the foster care system, he noticed the pictures of her older sons, his brothers. And he exclaimed to her, I can't wait to be in pictures on walls. See, pictures on walls means you're here to stay. 
It's not, not merely a, a quick glance that you show on the phone. It's, it's been printed. It's been framed. It's been displayed. For a child whose life is marked with temporary stays and constant transitions, a picture on the wall means that you're part of the family. And now Eli is a permanent part of his family, legally adopted, given all the rights and privileges of a son. And just like his brothers born into the family, his, his brother adopted with him into this family, his picture hangs on the wall because he is a child who brings joy to his mother. Oh, brothers and sisters, you have become children of God. Your picture hangs in God's kingdom. You hang on God's wall. Let me pray for us this morning. Lord, I ask that in your word, we would see with joy the glorious relationship that you have provided to us through Jesus, our Savior. Father, we ask that you would provide us comfort, that we who have, have come to you in, in fear would come to you now in joy. Lord, that, that if we have been distant from you, we would come to you longing to hear your voice as we read your word. That we would come to you fervently in prayer. Lord, that we would be so excited about what you have done for us that we would share it with joy with everyone we run into. That we would announce the message that Jesus, the Son of God, has come. And that through him we have become children of God. Lord, for those that, that wrestle with this truth, that doubt if it could be true, Lord, I pray that you would give them now the faith to believe, that they might receive the gift of Jesus, that they might believe in his name, trusting in him and his work on the cross. Lord, you are our Father in heaven. We rejoice in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.